I really want to see a renaissance of the terminal. I really want to see a shift back to the CLI from the web. I think a lot of applications have moved to the web, and it's very siloed. And I think that what was so great about the terminal was commands could be composed and they could be scripted. If we can bring some of that UI goodness, some of this AI, some of these more interesting concepts to the terminal, we can really see the terminal take off and be a new remade application. Hi, I'm Rachel Chalmers, and this is Generation Ship, the podcast at the intersection of infrastructure and artificial intelligence. We are the generation that's exploring generative AI. We are a finite group of people with a finite set of resources, and we have to share this infrastructure. We have to find fair and ethical ways to do that. The first generation ship has already set sail. It's the planet Earth, and you and I are the crew. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. Today, I'm overjoyed to welcome my friend and colleague, Mike Saka, to the show. Mike is the founder and CEO of Commandline Incorporated, a seed stage startup building an AI-powered Commandline terminal in which I'm a personal investor. Commandline is a graduate of the Alchemist Accelerator. Mike is a terminal deconstructor, Golang hacker, and React slash TypeScript app builder with 20 years of technical experience as an engineer, manager, and CTO at startups in the San Francisco Bay Area, and a Stanford computer science graduate. Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much, Rachel. I'm happy to be here. We also have a guide dog puppy, Wiley, here with us today. So if you hear any jingling in the background, that's Wiley the guide dog. Mike, can you tell us the story of Command Line? What different paths did you take to get to the current iteration of the company? So it's been quite a journey, right? <laughs> it's um, I actually started doing an internal tool startup with the name Dashboard. Such a cool name. <laughs> Thank you. I love that name. And so I started as a backend developer, and I've always loved the simplicity and the ease of building tools on the command line. And it's so frustrating that there was always so much code, literally a mountain of JavaScript and deployment logic to get internal tools off the ground. So it did a lot of customer discovery, and it actually turned out that backend engineers aren't so keen about making front-end tools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it didn't work out. But those customer discovery interviews were really valuable because that's what really led me to command lining. It's just a much bigger, much better idea. And it's solving a problem that tens of millions of developers have. So it's actually a great lesson. You know, how do you know you have a good idea? And it's kind of cliche, but it's like, you know when you know. So I just felt like once I switched to this building a new command line terminal idea, it was like, instead of pushing uphill all the time, things really started to fall in place and everything everything, um, made more sense. Yeah, that's absolutely true. The serendipity kicks in. People start asking you for the thing instead of you having to to try and push it on. On them, yeah, that definitely that idea of you know doing those customer discovery interviews and getting that that's cool um, versus like oh this is interesting when can I have it yeah. was very different. Give um, it to me, yeah. And it felt like such a huge insight because I was around at the time because the terminal is so easy to overlook. It's like a window, you know. Everybody looks through it, realizing that no, this is the thing. This this window is is the problem. It was super exciting. Oh, yeah. No, it's really interesting. I'll have conversations with people and ask them, hey, you know, do you have any issues with the terminal? Does it work okay? And they'll be like, yeah, everything's great. And then we'll get in 15 minutes later and they'll be like, well, copy and paste doesn't work. You know, I can't edit things. It's, you know, there's so many different pieces that are annoying. You have to keep context switching. And so that was just really the insight that 
people don't think of it, but there's a lot of problems that underlying there. What are some of the things you wish you'd known at the beginning of this journey? <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of things I wish I would have known. You know, we switched ideas. I wrote too much code at the beginning. I did terrible customer discovery interviews. Everything took longer than I thought. Um, had so many rejections. But in some ways, I'm maybe kind of glad I didn't know that coming in. <laughs> You know, who knows if I would have been here, if I would have known how hard it would have taken. But I think, you know, all seriousness, though, it really gave me a lot more respect for marketing and fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a builder, and I think if you're a builder, you have to just be prepared for things to take longer than you thought. And you have to really be prepared to roll up your sleeves and talk to a lot of people and deal with lots of rejection. Um, and, you know, just kind of stealing yourself for that part of the journey, I think, is is important. Thank you for the shout out for soft skills, though, because, you know, I came up through marketing and research and, you know, the Valley doesn't really look on those things as particularly valuable, but they really are. I mean, that's how you go from a bit of code to a product, ideally. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's that idea of, you know, unfortunately, if you build it, they don't necessarily come. Right. <laughs> and so you need those skills to attract users and, and get your idea off the ground. Yeah. What is missing in the terminals we use today? You, you mentioned cut and paste, but in particular, where can AI help? Oh, there's so many things that are missing in the terminal, right? I mean, there's all the soft, the soft parts around the fact that the terminal application doesn't function like a regular application. Yeah, copy and paste, graphicalness, when you open up, it's blank. I mean, one of the crazy things I came across initially was that the terminal doesn't even know what commands are being run through it. Mm-hmm. And so there's no way, there's no history of all the commands that you've typed except on that one machine that you're logged into for that right. one user. Right. No state. Yeah. And and I think that's where, you know, AI can start to come into play because now if you think of a terminal that does remember all of the commands that you've typed and maybe if we have collaboration and we can roll up all those commands not only for yourself, but for your team, or eventually an enterprise. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you search all that? How do you synthesize that? How do you come up with best practices? And these are all things that AI is great at doing. Yep. So writing documentation and then using that documentation to then generate and help people write commands. I think this is going to be going to be huge. Did you ever work on like the literal terminals, the the physical terminals? <laughs> I'm going to be aging myself now, but yeah, my first internet access was via you know terminals running off a mainframe in a lab under the trains at, at Trinity College in Dublin. <laughs> I, I was lucky. I actually just so my year was the first year that they had Ethernet in the dorms at Stanford. Oh, you're a child. <laughs> you're an infant. <laughs> so I thought I was going to go into chemistry, but being able to do my lab work. At my dorm room yep. was one of the key reasons why computer science seemed like oh, the way hey, to go. I don't have to walk anywhere. This is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Gen AI is really good at surfacing things like best practices, but it's also really good at lucid dreaming and having hallucinations. And what you're building is going to be a mission critical piece of kit. How are you thinking about handling hallucinations? Oh, that's a really hard problem. I mean, I think that we're going to need more data in the CLI space to see how bad that is and like what problems are going to come up. But I'm a big fan of this idea of generate, check, and then execute. And so there'll always be that human step involved, at least at the beginning, where people can review the code that 
we generated and then decide, is this something I want to run? And I also think that there's two different types of generation. One that's coming basically from commands that are already written and just reparameterizing that. I think that's very safe. And the other is when you take multiple commands together and say, dream up something new. And I think that those are the ones where you have to be a lot more careful about. How careful do you think people are going to be? Are they going to be coming through those commands? <laughs> it worries me. I mean, I know I'll accept suggestions from Gen AI on autopilot and then be embarrassed that I had things in in the copy that it produced, but I'm not using it for like serious purposes yet. Um, Mission critical stuff. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's a problem, although I think we have that problem today. I mean, a lot of yeah. code comes from Stack Overflow. Yeah. People copy and paste things directly into the terminal. Oh, it's not just code. I was talking to a lawyer the other day and people are just copying, pasting, like, term sheets and and contracts it's <laughs> terrifying yeah you know i think one of the ways that the terminal can help with that and one of the things i'm thinking about is how we can also use ai to analyze the commands that are being run and then putting guardrails on that so for instance if you say rm star right because i can see those commands before they actually get executed by the underlying shell i can say like hey it looks like you're about to delete 10,000 files are you are sure, sure you want to do that <laughs> Whereas if you're only going to delete one or two, we can just let it run directly. Yeah. And so I think building these types of guardrails in after the fact as well can make a big difference. I love that. One of the the reasons I particularly love companies like LaunchDarkly and Honeycomb is because they do build in those guardrails. They make software, they make SRE a little bit more compassionate, a little bit less, you know, tightrope walking over the Grand Canyon. Is that something that you're building intentionally because of, of experience with getting yelled at when you get things wrong? <laughs> That's a good question. I, um, I think it's just once you start seeing all the limitations of the terminal, you just start seeing so many different things that should have been fixed and I can't believe that we don't that we can't live without, right? I mean, the fact that only the shell knows how to do expansions, only the shell knows um, what's really going on in the machine is kind of crazy to me. And so, yeah, I mean, once you start thinking about all the different things the terminal could do that it's not doing, especially when you add AI, I think it's like just a, a huge green field of opportunity. Why haven't we done any work on the terminal? I mean, it's been pretty much the same for the last 25 years. Is it because it was invisible to everyone? They didn't see it? I really think it's a chicken and egg problem. Yeah. I really think it's the fact that there's the terminal and the shell. And when the terminal was created, it was a hardware terminal, as we discussed. And you know, you couldn't add anything interesting or smart in there. So all the smarts went into the shell. And now, you know, if, you, if the shell wanted to do something new, all the terminals had to support it. And if the terminal wanted to do something, well, then the shells had to support it. And so no one ever made any progress. And so really the insight is, can we break that chicken-egg problem and allow the terminal to be, be smart independent of the shell? And now, you know, we're just able to like add a ton of new, new cool features. It's super exciting because... Stuff like my kids have never seen a floppy disk except in a museum. We, we have yeah. all of these archetypes in our brains about how we interact with computers. And when we like notice one and can deconstruct it, it just opens these floodgates of opportunity. Yeah, I, and I think that's, that's the thing. I mean, I love the terminal. I love the Unix architecture. I love all this. But if you think about how would we design the system today, not in the 1970s when we had very real limitations, it just makes more sense to be able to build more stuff in, into the terminal itself and move that functionality out of the shell. Pour one out for Ken Thompson and Dennis Ritchie, though. <laughs> if any of our work is still being used in 50, 60 years, I'll be, I'll be pretty happy. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be amazing. 
In using commercial LLMs, do you worry about the privacy implications? How much confidential data could leak? Yeah, I think this is a huge problem. And I think it's a problem the industry has to figure out. I don't think that that's a problem that you know, my company specifically is going to have to figure out. Um, and I'm really interested to see you know, how this all shakes out, both socially and acceptance-wise, over the next year or two. Especially, I think there'll be a difference between what small companies, medium companies, and then enterprises accept. And once, once we know what's going to happen there, I think we'll know how to proceed. Yeah, I think startups, as you say, are going to have different standards from big banks for obvious reasons. But startups are going to want to sell into big banks. So I do worry that it's going to be a blocker for adoption of of these kinds of tools. Yeah, I mean, I think even stuff like AI code generation, I remember being asked by my my lawyers, like, hey, do you have any AI-generated code in your code base? I didn't, but it's interesting because now what code base is not going to have AI-generated code in the future? So I think it's just the norms are going to have to change and, and we're going to have to have assurances from these big commercial LLMs that there is privacy restrictions and people are just going to have to accept it. Yeah, and I, I don't think we've even imagined all the risks yet. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> yeah. How do you see AI enhancing or detracting from the work that programmers do? Oh, There's so much um, around programmer work to discuss in AI. I think AI is going to be a big enhancement to developers. Really, I think it's going to come down to two pieces. There's a mechanical aspect of programming, and there's recall aspect of programming. And I think that these two pieces are where AI can help the most immediately. So I've always been really great at just turning my thoughts into code very quickly. I type fast. I was on the ACM programming team. I know how to do that really quickly. But there's a lot of people where that mechanical transformation of what's in their head into code takes a long time. And I think that's where AI is really going to help. The other piece is around recall of functions and API functionality and classes in the code base. This is now a place where senior engineers are often the guardrails on that, where someone checks in some code and is like, hey, you should use this function. You should use this library function. This is not the way we do things. We do things this way. And I think AI is going to become more and more the guardian of that type of style and of that type of best practices. And I think that's where things will be um, much easier. Yeah, again, it's the institutional memory. It's the being able to preserve and surface norms about what works and what doesn't in a specific environment. Yeah, but I think that the creative aspect of programming, that we're still pretty far away from AI. So the, the engineers that are doing cutting-edge work, right, being creative, building new code, building new ideas, I think that's not at risk, at least not right now. And the hope is always with these kinds of automation that it will automate the boring 80% of your job and free you up to pursue the 20% that's really worthwhile and engaging. I have that hope for other creative fields as well, for writing and art. I would like to see us collaborating with AI rather than using AI to put people out of work. Do you have goals or aspirations around the uses of AI in the workforce? Yeah, you know, I think that what's really interesting to me AI is it lets you experiment with new technologies, with new ways of doing things much easier. Right before, if you wanted to learn a new language, you know, that could take a long time, weeks, months, depending on your, your pace. And now with AI, you can say, like, hey, just let's try and write a new program in this new language and see how it goes. And I think it it lets you get to a moderate level of proficiency much, much faster than you could otherwise. It's the closest thing I've ever seen to the young lady's illustrated primer from the Neil Stevenson book, The Diamond Age, which you're looking at me like you've never read. <laughs> anyway, it's 
it's a piece of AI that trains kids in how to program and how to take care of themselves. And it does feel like there's a, a sense in which being able to communicate with a library, being able to communicate with a, a set of best practices and standards in a way that doesn't bother or try the patience of an adult who already knows that stuff could be a real advantage. That's totally true. The teaching aspect of AI is also really incredible. And you're right, having that infinite patience um, to learn something is amazing. Do you see risks to programming as an occupation? Do you think that some of these big companies are looking at just firing all of their low-level programmers? I don't. I think programming is, is alive and well. And I think that because of AI, I think it's only going to be growing. I, I think it's bringing more and more people into the field. And I think that as technology expands and covers more areas, we need more and more programmers to manage it. What kinds of programmers might want to think about harnessing AI in different ways to make sure that their careers are future-proofed? I think if you're not doing a lot of creative work in programming, I think you do have a risk to your job. I, I think it's a big focus on creativity and making sure that you're breaking new ground and trying new things and, and innovating both in your skills and also at work. And I think that those are the types of jobs that will never go away. What are some of the ways we might mitigate risks to programming as an occupation, to LLMs as a threat to privacy? How do you see guardrails around the cultural implications of AI? Yeah, you know, I think AI is not yet to the point where I'm super worried about that. And I think that that comes in the future when it gets maybe too good. But I, as far as I can tell, as at least with programming, there's still ways to go. Yeah. And I think that now it's more about reducing repetitive work, helping people learn, increasing institutional knowledge. And I think those are all net positive. You know, ask me again in five years when it crosses <laughs> the chasm into, into doing more high-level work, and then we'll see. Well, it's funny you should say that. I'm making you God Emperor of the world. For the next five years, everything goes the way that you want it to go. What's the future going to look like? Well, I'm biased, but <laughs> um, I really want to see a renaissance of the terminal. I really want to see a shift back to the CLI from the web. I think a lot of applications have moved to the web, and it's very siloed. And I think that what was so great about the terminal was commands could be composed and they could be scripted. And I think that if we can bring some of that UI goodness, some of this AI, some, some of these more interesting concepts to the terminal, we can really see the terminal take off and be, be a new remade application. And you know, of course I'm rooting for, for myself, for Prompt and Command Line Inc., but whoever figures this out, I think it's going to have a huge impact on developer experience. And do you think that will be people who think of themselves as programmers? Or is this something that could be accessible to you know, the person who runs the accounts in a Midwestern dental office? Is, is there a like 10x increase in the number of people who can take advantage of this power? I think we'll see. I think that would be amazing if that could happen. But I think there's a lot of steps that, that need to happen to make, to make that a reality. And I don't know, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good question, Rachel. It's a big part yeah. of the fire in my belly, I think. I think we're early enough in AI that small nudges could push it in the direction of being a democratizing force rather than one that silos things up and, and locks things into walled gardens again. Yeah. So I'd be interested to hear what you think some of the steps are to, to achieve that goal. Yeah, I think that there are so many repetitive tasks, so many things that 
people want to do that require pulling data from different sources and you know editing files with different applications and doing all that that if we can find a way to get all that information together and have AI be able to operate and do those row tasks, I think it's definitely a possibility. It's really yeah. exciting to think about. I had been thinking of cultural movements, but you're right that there's a lot of API work that would make this incredibly powerful. <laughs> like, I, I think about that idea of having to open two or three different applications. And you know, even as a programmer, I have to do that, like SCP files to my laptop, open it up in Excel, generate a chart. That's something AI should be able to do really easily directly with one command especially if someone trains it beforehand. And I can imagine the same thing with accountants, with lawyers, with you know, restocking a store, with whatever it is, then we could get a lot more, a lot more leverage there. Yeah. Yeah. It's another one where we're using computers, but we still have paper manifests in our heads and we're treating the computers as if they were made of paper. <laughs> Indeed. Bit of a stretched metaphor, but you know me. <laughs> Speaking of stretched metaphors. We're called generationship because we're talking about generative AI, but also because we're on a journey together into an unknown future. If you had a colony ship on its way to Proxima Centauri, what would you call it? Good question. <laughs> I think hope. Yeah, it's what we're all looking for. Yeah. Mike, it's been a delight to have you on the show. Thank you for your patience with Wiley the Guide Dog and with my questions. Good luck with Command Line. Thanks so much, Rachel. I really appreciated being here. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest or if you know someone awesome I should interview, hook up with us online. We're available where all fine social medias are sold. This show is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. <laughs>